It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from State Farm, here with good news and even better news. The good news? State Farm has new lower car insurance rates. The even better news? That means you can now get the service and convenience of a local State Farm agent at surprisingly great rates. State Farm can help you save more cash and get the good neighbor service you deserve. Just talk to your local State Farm agent or visit statefarm.com to find out how much you can save on your car insurance. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. You're Locked on Warriors, Daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I'm Daniel Lurie, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. That was a surprising, really impressive comeback and win for the Golden State Warriors. They won 110-98 in San San Antonio, not Sacramento, on the tail end of a back-to-back after the game in Houston and a horrendous first quarter. And while we hadn't planned it ahead of time, I reached out to Adam Wardson, who does the Fast Break blog for the San Jose Mercury News, and he was game. So we did a, a really fun podcast going through the game on the heftier side, I think more than 35 minutes. And this episode is brought to you by SeatGeek. You can download their free app, go to settings tab, enter the promo code LO Warriors for locked on warriors. And you get $20 off your, or as a rebate on, off your first purchase. And as I said, it's about 35 minutes. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's been a little while since we did this, but I mean, considering the way this game started, it's pretty amazing the material that we're going to be able to get into. But I will start this with really opening the floor to you to say, what is your biggest takeaway from this game? My biggest takeaway is it was a must-win game that the Warriors looked like they were going to completely give away in the first quarter. They found their composure. They found their defense, their intensity. They made adjustments during the game in terms of how to deal with the pressure that San Antonio was putting on them. And it was exactly the type of performance, despite the awful start, that you'd want to see from this team at this point in the year. It was a game they needed to win to really lock up that first spot in the West. Uh, And they found a way to do it, despite being on the second night of a back-to-back, on the road, without Kevin Durant, whatever scenarios you want to throw out. They just found a way to win, and that's what you want from a team at this point in the season. This goes really high in the echelon of schedule losses, you know, that that the Warriors could have done. You not only played the night before, but played the night before against a really good team and a game that, you know, was competitive and feisty and long yesterday. Travel, not that long of a tri- of a flight, so I guess that's a smaller part of it. But you do that, and then you just totally crap the bed in the first quarter. A lot of off- bad offensive rebounds, a lot of just messed up possessions. Their offense was completely stagnant for the first five minutes of the game. They weren't working for shots. They weren't getting shots. And so you kind of sit there and you go, okay, you know, this is w- this was one of the many potential outcomes for this game. And so you kind of, in my brain, I kind of settled into, okay, this is where it's going to go. And then what swung it, and this has happened a couple of times since Durant has been out, was instead of starting the second quarter flat, 
they started the second quarter playing pretty well and then started cutting into the margin and then really cut in the margin in the rest of the second quarter too. Yeah, I think that's exactly right about the second quarter being the turning point. Uh, Igudala and West were just tremendous stabilizing forces for this team. Uh, you looked at how scattered they were in the first quarter as soon as San Antonio started hitting those shots and with the pressure on Curry. Green was making bad passes, forcing things. They were pounding the ball too much. They weren't really running their offense. They were disorganized on defense. Everything was falling apart. Uh, but Iguodala comes into the game. West comes into the game. They get settled on both ends. They just made things simpler. They went back to basics, back to this, the things that this team does really well. Uh, and that's a, precisely the role that you want your veterans to play. They did exactly what you would hope they would do in a game like this. And it really saved it for them. My biggest takeaway was actually something bigger than what you went to, and I'm, that's completely fair, but my biggest takeaway is so Nate Duncan and I do dunked on, and one of the questions we talked about a lot last year, because it looked like Warrior Spurs was staring us in the face, two of the best regular season teams of all time, was this open question, actually inspired by a game the Warriors or the Warriors beat the, beat the Spurs at Oracle, I think middle of the year, of can the Spurs score on the Warriors? And in the first quarter, the answer was yes. They got offensive rebounds. They actually had some pretty good first shot offense as well. And after that, the answer was no. Because in the, so a stat that Nate and I did the Twitter NBA show, and this was something I wanted to pull in our post game, was after the first quarter, but before the last minute, because that was super garbage time, the Spurs shot 40% from the field. They did make 7 to 21 free throws, but the quality of their offense, the not only the shots that were going in, but just the, the quality of shots they were getting fell off a cliff. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. You, you look at the way that the Spurs used to play, you would have Parker penetrating, you would have Ginobili doing a bunch of things off the ball to get good high percentage shots. Uh, that's just not their offense anymore. Parker looks totally cooked and was a disaster in this game for the Spurs. He's had games like that against the Warriors in the past, and it's hard to see him in a seven-game series not being a huge liability for them, uh, which leaves them really with Leonard and Aldridge. And Leonard can do a lot of great things, but was really sort of forcing it this game. I felt like offensively the Warriors did some nice moves, kind of forcing him into difficult shots in the mid-range game. Uh, and Aldridge was really sort of passive. He had some good second-chance opportunities. They got him some looks close to the to the rim. But when the game was slipping away, he was completely quiet and nowhere to be seen. So I, I think you're right in terms of can the Spurs score against the Warriors. When the defense is cohesive, like we saw in the second, third, fourth quarters, uh, it looks really hard for them to break what the Warriors are able to put up. A great way to test out the idea of whether you can go small against the team is to visualize what happens when you play a guy a position lower in size. It does That doesn't always mean strength. People think back to, to the way Steven Jackson defended Dirk in the We Believe year. So it's not always the same thing of a small guy. But the Spurs have this really big problem where Pau Gasol, at this point in his career, is not great on a smaller guy. Like, he can, he can score. I'm not saying he can't. He's that. LaMarcus has struggled with that for years because he he's savvy and you know he if he gets a real mismatch you know a two on him that he's going to make it he's going to make some hay so you you tie that in Kawhi is you know Kawhi can do well but you're not going to worry about that because you're not going to put a small guy on Kawhi because he's awesome so 
What that means is the Warriors largely won this game without going small, because without Durant, they can't do that. And that is what would be giving giving me sleepless nights if I were a Greg Popovich or a Spurs fan, is that this was far from the Warriors' A lineup. I mean, the defense played about as well in those second and third quarters as I've seen, but this is not their A personnel in any way, shape, or form, and they still stifled them pretty cohesively. Yeah, you, you look at the options the Spurs have, uh, on defense, for example, you mob Curry, but when the Warriors are able to find uh, someone, whether they're going small or they're going relatively large with West uh, to fill the space that's created by that overplay on defense, uh, you have a huge vulnerability there. And if you don't overplay Curry, you get cooked. And it's the same thing, I think, on defense, that you're left uh, as the Spurs with a couple of bad options in terms of how to match up with the Warriors in their versatile lineups. Uh, the ability of Iguodala, of Green, of West to guard uh, sort of a position up, a position down uh, for most players has really, I think, helped the Warriors shore up their defense. And it's not something they lose when Durant comes back. I think he's going to be the same type of player that he's going to present those constant matchup problems that the Spurs have to solve. and they, they don't have the people to solve them. It's not going to be David Lee who's going to come in and save the day here. Two different points that I think are important along these same lines. One, if you're thinking about this as a worst-case scenario for the Spurs, the Warriors only had 12 fast break points in the last three quarters. This was not, they weren't annihilating them in transition. The Spurs are magnificent at getting back. But the bigger point that I wanted to make is that last year, I articulated the Spurs problem in terms of seams, that they didn't create many holes in the defense that then they could exploit by getting open threes and lots of other stuff. That issue is still present. And that's also a problem with Kawhi and LaMarcus being kind of in some ways comfortable in isolation is that you don't, you don't create seams in isolation. You just kind of stand there unless you have to do a forced double. And when Curry was on the floor and Curry was on in this game, he creates seams, not even by his own penetration. He creates seams just by his presence. And that is a major, major problem for them because if the Warriors are playing four or ideally five capable offensive players, as long as they can make that first pass, they're going to get something good out of it. Yeah, and that was the difference between the first quarter and the rest of the game is Curry, for whatever reason, either wasn't making that first pass to get it out or he was making it and then the Warriors weren't making good decisions with the ball immediately afterwards. They were forcing it. They were scrambling too much. As soon as they settled down, uh, the Spurs just had no answers. So it, it looked like there was really diminishing returns to the idea that you were going to mob Curry uh, and his gravity there actually became a plus rather than a minus for the Warriors for the rest of the game. And that ties in with a really big question that Popovich is going to have to answer, which is if they identify that Tony Parker is a, a significant problem in that series, how do they handle that? Does that mean they can start Patty Mills? Does that mean you give Parker a quick hook and bring Mills in? Because the way the Warriors run their rotations, there is an opportunity for Mills to make some hay at the beginning of the second quarter, but that's not really using him as well. And it, it's going to be really hard for them to strike these sorts of balances. And that's not to say, you know, Tony Parker is incapable of being on the floor, but they don't really have a place to hide him against when the Warriors are going with their best guys. And Mills is harder, is hard to hide too, but you're going to figure that out. And that's why I think the Spurs answer theoretically would be playing Danny Green and Manu as their guards. But it, Pop has basically never done that. So I can't say, oh, well, that's the solution because they're not going to do it. Yeah, I think it's a 
question where there's no obvious answer. You, you look at the lines between Parker and Mills in this game. You know, Parker played 24 minutes, didn't make a shot, was negative seven, no points. Uh, Mills played 23 minutes, made one three, hit three free throws, so had six points, but was still negative seven for his 23 minutes. So you get a bit more aggressive defense out of Mills. He definitely has the ability to body Curry and frustrate him in that way. But that, like we saw tonight, has diminishing returns. Curry's good enough that he can figure that out. Curry's coached his guys to deal with that when they run into it. Uh, so there's no silver bullet here for Popovich at the point guard position. The Warriors are just a disastrous matchup for them there. There's no real silver bullet anywhere. I mean, we also saw in this game that the, when their offense stagnated a little bit, San Antonio had ended up with Danny Green dribbling the ball a little bit too much, and he's not good at that. He's a spectacular player at what he does well, but his weaknesses are, are very pronounced. And the other way of thinking about the Spurs' offensive issues in this, and you know, the, of course, we have to remember that they played a fantastic game against the Warriors in or in Oracle on opening night, but that's a long time ago, is what causes a defense to freak out? So you could think about a million different things. Actually, Kevin Durant is a good example of this, you know, like having Kevin Durant with a small on him, having actually having Pau Gasol with like a guard on him is a way that you can get a defense to freak out. But because of their help defenders, because of how limited a lot of these Spurs guys are one-on-one, and actually an underrated part of this is how little shooting they have outside of their best guys. There aren't that many things where you're sitting there and going, oh my god, I have to leave my guy to stop blank, especially where you're going to do that and sacrifice something that's really tangible. Yeah, the, the Warriors can play the Spurs straight up on defense. They, they, they don't need to uh, double, they, they don't need to make major adjustments, maybe some tweaks depending upon matchups. Uh, but it's not the same for the Spurs. They need to consider radical measures to slow down Curry. And when Curry gets the pick and roll going, as he did in the second half, uh, that's, like you said, something that causes a defense to freak out. That's when you have Powell trying to stay in front of Curry, penetrating to the basket. Or when you have David West just standing completely open, looking at a 15-footer that he's been hitting for the last decade. Uh, those are the scenarios that are very unspurs-like on defense, where they're out of position and that they're not compensating and adjusting the way that Popovich is training them to. We get back to the conversation in just a minute, but I wanted to tell you all about SeatGeek. SeatGeek is my personal go-to for buying and selling tickets to basically anything, to concerts, to sporting events like Warrior Spurs or the Rockets game at Oracle on Friday or theater, if that's something that you enjoy. Of course, there's a lot of great stuff that comes through the Bay Area and everywhere else. And SeatGeek does a really good job because it is not only it it kind of goes in two different directions that save you time and save you money. One is it aggregates a lot of different ticket places together, so you don't have to worry about going to multiple places to look for tickets. And then the second one is that they go through it themselves and give everything a deal score, which is trying to calibrate not only seat quality, but seat price. And so it's trying to say, hey, this is the best bang for your buck. And you can use those two things to make a much faster decision because you don't have to search around a lot of different sites. You can just say, okay, maybe this is what I'm willing to spend. This is where I want to sit. And this is the best thing that I can get. And another reason why SeatGeek, and and I love the marriage that we have with that, is because the the thing that you get, our code, is just 
basically money back. So you, you download their app at SeatGeek, S-E-A-T-G-E-E-K, and then you go to settings tab, you enter the promo code LO Warriors, so for locked on warriors, LO Warriors, and they will send you $20 off your first order. So you make you make the order and then they'll just send you 20 bucks. So you get to try it out. Something I've used long before they were a sponsor. I'm a big fan of their products by of just, just buying my tickets there. I actually sell on there too. There's a reason I say that in, in the ads is more because I do it all the time when I need to sell something, which regrettably does happen when I can't go to something. So check it out. SeatGeek promo code LO Warriors, but now back to the conversation. I'm fascinated to see how Pop manages their rotations if these teams go at it in a playoff series, just because there are a lot of different kind of like one-way advantages that that they can create that are very tangible. I mean, Dwayne Dedman can do a good job protecting the rim, but if the Warriors pull him out, then that's a problem. And he offensively was very exploitable in this game. And, you know, we saw that not at the very beginning of the game, but, you know, the second, his second stint was really problematic for them. I think he was, he was flat, but, oh no, he was negative 16, never mind, um, in the rest of the game after the first quarter. And the zero was zero points. And I think that it'll be interesting to see where where the spurs decide okay this is this is the thing that we need to patch this is what we can't do because we've talked about maybe not you and I maybe we have about how like kind of cleveland in this time necessity is the mother of invention you know a lot of the guys that they've added over the past year especially with bogut being out which is unfortunate are players that are not particularly great defenders and you know mm-hmm. the, you're you're never going to get perfect guys for the minimum for minimum contracts that's just not the way that's going to work and Corver, you know, he has very specific strengths, which are great. And the Spurs, I think, are finally starting to run into a little bit of that. They have incredible players. Kawhi is great. Danny Green is great. LaMarcus at what he does is phenomenal. But Pau Gasol has specific flaws. Dwayne Dedman has specific flaws. Tony Parker all of a sudden has, you know, the flaws, the, the, the benefits aren't outweighing the flaws like they used to. And then when you think about, okay, so if those guys stumble, who picks up the slack? The answer is just the guys I named. It's not really anybody else. Kyle Anderson is not going to fix this. Jonathan Simmons is good, but he's not going to fix this. Right. And you compare that to the Warriors, where you now have David West looking incredibly consistent, really giving them good play at both ends of the court when the matchups are right, but with a fair amount of versatility there. And Iguodala has just been a revelation in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I worry that this is a little bit sort of too far for him that, that it's unreasonable to expect him to play like this throughout the playoffs. He was six for nine tonight, uh, you know, plus 17 in 30 minutes was just terrific in every aspect. Uh, but those are guys who are difference makers for the Warriors who are their bench players. And that's only going to become more the case when Durant comes back and gives them greater depth. Uh, the Spurs just don't have the same level of completeness on their bench right now to deal with the situations that the Warriors are going to throw up in. Also, even with the rough first quarter, a lot of there are a lot of reasons why the Warriors can take solace because of how well they played with specific guys on the floor. They were plus 27.9 per 100 possessions with Iguodala on the floor. They were positive with Pachuli on the floor, even after the disastrous beginning of the game, which is legitimately impressive. And they're not a perfect team, far from it. And, and it will depend on, you know, who's hitting shots and everything like that. But another way of thinking about Durant 
I've thought about it more in terms of the getting him as the value of if any, basically one of their top guys gets hurt, they can still survive, which incidentally they're proving right now, but with Durant as opposed to the other guys. But right. another way to, to see it more on a moment to moment game to game basis is that it's a lot easier to survive down stretches, cold snaps for basically any of their offensive players when Durant is on the floor. They didn't end up needing that in this game because they were defending well and they were, and they were, you know, they were making the shots they needed to, but typically I think if the Warriors are, as long as their defense is at least solid, you know, good or better, if two of the three of their best guys are, are, are playing fine, they're fine. And if one of them is on fire, then they're good. You know, then they're, they're, they're not going to have a problem. And that is such a pain for other teams to deal with. It's an incredible pain and it gives the Warriors a lot of versatility and a large margin for error. And they can have a lot of guys who aren't playing very well and still be very competitive in the game. What I'm interested to see when Durant comes back is whether he uh, isn't quite as assertive as he was necessarily early in the season. And that's no knock on Durant. The Warriors encouraged him to be assertive. Curry went out of his way early on to defer to him. Uh, But you see how the Warriors play when Curry has the ball in his hands more, when Thompson's getting more action off the ball. And you can imagine Durant being reinserted uh, almost in the Matt Barnes role where he's an option out at the three-point line. He's a slasher. He's somebody who's uh, providing them good length on defense. Uh, And Kevin Durant, as a substitute for Matt Barnes, there's a huge upgrade there, and he can make a massive impact in the game just in that limited role alone. Uh, And there will be nights, obviously, where he'll do more. Uh, But all this is to say that the Warriors don't need Durant to come back and be an MVP level player uh, on the team that they have right now. He can join the group and can fill a role and make them even stronger than they are, which as we've seen is pretty incredibly strong right now. Kevin Pelton wrote a good piece for ESPN insider today talking about, I guess it was kind of to time it with the news of the the prognosis and his, his update of kind of what to expect in the early days of this. And the thing that he noticed is that usually guys come back pretty well from this. I think it's also because you need to be really patient with it. But one part that can lag a little bit is three-point shooting. And what is so valuable about Kevin Durant, you know, kind of, I th- I was thinking of him more as being a super Barnes, Harrison Barnes, as opposed to Matt Barnes, though I think both are fine. They're not, I talked about that with Nate a little bit today, that they're not that different in terms of the role that they're asked. I mean, their capabilities were very different, but in terms of the roles, not, not that far off. And Durant has to both missing a lot of open three pointers right, right now. Exactly. And trying hard on defense and, you know, battling through and Barnes, one of the big right. things Harrison had as an advantage was his, his understanding of the system, you know, that he, he knew right. where to be and he knew what to do. And Matt Barnes does not do that. But so what Durant has, the, he has two advantages. One, he's a way better player. And that's obvious. And he also has greater capability as a weak side, you know, help defender and a lot of other things. But the second part, and this is something that the Warriors were not really able to take advantage of last year because Curry was a different type of guy, is even if he's not all the way back, when another team sees Kevin Durant, let's say he's playing the Harrison Barnes role largely, the guy who's guarding him in the corner is not going to leave him, even if he's not 100%, because it's still Kevin Durant. And there right. is an incredible value to that. And and we you will see that with Clay Thompson at moments. I think back to the 2015 finals when Amon Shumpert, talented defender, just wouldn't leave Clay. So the Warriors were effectively playing four on four. And then when they doubled Curry or whatever, then they could get those, you know, basically three on twos for Draymond and Festus and whoever else. And that is just going to be exacerbated with Durant if that's kind of where they go with this. 
Right. And, and you saw the negative effect of that, the inverse of it, immediately after Durant's injury. Part of the reason the Warriors struggled during that stretch is because Curry and Thompson needed to adapt to the fact that they could have defenders play them more aggressively, that there wasn't this other center of gravity pulling people away or, or keeping defenders out of their airspace. Uh, Durant's presence, even if it's just as somebody standing around that you're afraid of, has a noticeable effect of the spacing on the court. And the Warriors got accustomed to playing in that previously. And now they've gotten accustomed to dealing with not having that there. So I think when Durant comes back, it's only going to make their life easier. Yeah, there are more silver linings in this than I ever expected there to be. You know, obviously Durant, <laughs> yeah. Durant being back is certainly important to helping them win, but I did not expect that to be like kind of the catalyzing part of this season. And, you know, you can't really evaluate that until we see them in the cauldron that is the playoffs, because when you're facing teams in a one-off, especially because the Warriors are just so different from other teams, then you don't, it's not a, a true comparison, but there are a lot of things that they can take away from this. And one, maybe the most important, and this game was a reminder of it too, is that if they're not playing good defense, they can lose to almost anybody. And if they're playing good defense, they can beat anybody. Yeah, they can they can wipe out leads uh, in a matter of minutes that would seem insurmountable to most teams. It, it's really, their defense makes everything possible. And when it's locked in like it was tonight, they're just spectacular to watch. But back to the silver linings, the one downside to the Durant injury that may not materialize yet, but still gives me some concern the minutes on Iguodala and also on West to well, some degree. Now. And I want to, I want to, I want to add the words minute, the word to that stress. Like these are yes. not low intensity minutes where you're just kind of out there. Like he is playing a more active role than even then I would say that he did in anything other than the key games of the NBA finals the last two years. Like that's been the way he's been playing each game. Right. And that's what worries me is that we're now getting the, uh, Western Conference Finals, NBA Finals, Andre Iguodala, except we're getting it at the end of March and beginning of April instead of at the end of May and beginning of June when we've seen it the last few years. So his legs look great. He's got a lot of bounce. He's been spectacular for the last couple of weeks. I just worry that he's going so hard right now that it's going to come back to haunt them later. I, I suspect that the Warriors, as soon as they clinch the number one seed, will immediately try to shut him down for a couple games to give him more rest. We, we've seen the difference that just three or four days off can make in terms of his responsiveness. Uh, you know, he got a couple days off leading up to this time where he's looked so good. So I think they can manage it, but it's just something that in the back of my head, while all this is fantastic, I, I do worry a little bit about it because he is an important piece for them in the playoffs. I've talked about this, I think it was on Locked on Warriors, it might not have been. I was kind of looking through the Warrior schedule, it might have been in person, and might have been with Bontemps in person, and the idea was basically, if the Warriors did well on this trip, their next, the only, they only have one more road game the rest of the year, and that one road game is on right. the tail end of a back-to-back against the Phoenix Suns in Phoenix, and my thought was, if the Warriors are far enough ahead, pick a couple of guys and just don't even send them. Just don't put them on the plane, announce it ahead of time, do whatever the heck you need to do. And first of all, the Suns don't want to win that game. So you might even win it even with the skeleton crew. But second, you just don't put those miles on those guys. You just don't make them go on a plane, let them get normal rest. And Iguodala is probably the most cool with that of all of their best players. Right. Yeah, that seems like a no-brainer for Iguodala. And I could even see them doing it with somebody like Draymond, who's been beaten up a little bit in the last few games. 
someone oh God, like if they sit said, those two guys together, that issues. if they sit those two guys together, that game is going to be unwatchable. Yeah, <laughs> well, we may have another Booker explosion, but we'll see. It's, uh, it, but you're right though. That's the type of game where it. it Phoenix isn't trying to win it. Uh, you know, the Warriors had those types of games where they were on the other end uh, a decade ago or seven or eight years ago where uh, the other team doesn't send their best men, but you somehow find a way to lose it. So they need to keep the big picture in mind here, which is having Iguodala fresh for the playoff stretch. So even if you lose that game in Phoenix, hopefully they will have locked up the number one by then. Yeah. I, I think, and even if they haven't locked it up functionally, you know, I think they could be at that point. And it's a great example of when being a proactive coach could be a really good thing. And Kerr has done that, you know, I think back to that Denver game. And it's a lot easier to make those decisions when you're up three and a half games than when you're up one and a half games. So, absolutely. And and the other spillover effect of this that I think is is massive is that I think this is going to affect the Spurs too in terms of the way that Pop approaches rest because now it's very unlikely, you know, even if the Warriors lose to the Rockets on Friday, it's very unlikely that the Warriors are going to lose the number 1 seed. So maybe Pop kind of accelerates his schedule a little bit on the idea of we're not going to we're not going to change our thing for a 1 in 10 chance. You know, and right now I think 538 has it even higher than that. But they do have a little bit of time to figure it out. The regular season has, I think it's two two month, two weeks from today is the, is the end of the regular season. So the Warriors might get an ancillary benefit of just the Spurs saying, throwing their hands up for one extra game. And that one extra game might make the difference between like clinching before the Phoenix game or something like that. Right. Yeah, it, we've had a lot of completely meaningless games during this regular season for the Warriors, given what they learned last year and given uh, what they think they can do in the playoffs. Uh, but this was a truly meaningful game. Uh, it had ripples that I think we're going to feel all the way through the playoffs, not just in the next couple of weeks. So for them to start out so horribly and turn it around in the way that they did is really significant and meaningful, and I don't think should be underestimated. One other thing I feel like we have to mention is... Early in the game, Clay helped keep them in it. You know, maybe not at the very beginning, but like in that second quarter, and I think it was the second and third quarters where he just was taking shots because the the Spurs were conceding them a little bit too much. And he can provide so much value that way by just being the guy who has so much confidence, has a super quick release, and can basically fuel them for a three or four minute stretch or more if he's feeling it. And most teams don't have that in their third or fourth best player. Yeah, I'm glad you got to Clay. I wanted to raise that if you did, because exactly what you mentioned on offense gets overlooked. It's not the huge dagger threes. It's not the alley oops. You know, it's not these flashy plays. It's the baseline jumpers where Clay, because he's moving off the ball, finds a little bit extra room and gets a good open shot that keep the Warriors floating in the game or chip away at a deficit or just keep them in reach. And those plays are so easily overlooked, but in a game like this, they're crucial. And like you said, Clay was the guy who was making those plays for the Warriors during the middle stretch and kept them in this. And on defense too, uh, Clay's defense, uh, I, I know that there are people who look at the numbers and question it, but to my eyeball test, it's really one of the overlooked and underrated aspects of the team where very few things are underrated. Uh, it, it's a part of the Warriors game that is just so consistent that uh, I don't think we appreciate it until it's gone. And it's very rarely gone because Clay is such an iron man. Uh, it, he's on the best player for the other team in the backcourt night in, night out, and continues to deliver results 
despite back-to-backs and tough schedules and carrying the load on offense. So it's just worth taking a moment every now and then to appreciate how consistently excellent Clay is to this team, even if he's not the guy getting all the attention. Yeah, well said. And also his ability to handle switches for short periods of time on somebody bigger allows a lot of the other things to work because generally speaking, you know, the small guys are more dangerous, but you need to be able to have that kind of countervailing weight, especially with Draymond. Like you think about one of the ways that they might end up resolving the if they face the Rockets in the playoffs, which is now looking less likely. But if they face the Rockets, if you make if you put Clay and Draymond on that hardened Capella pick and roll, that is a very, very different thing than most teams are going to be able to handle. I mean, Clay's not going to he's not going to be perfect on Capella, but he can do a, cre- a more credible job than a lot of other guys who play his position. And that gives them a lot more flexibility. Yeah, his strength is underrated. His length is underrated. Uh, he finds a way to stay in front of guys, whether it's through sort of anticipating or, or just, you know, having a good quick first step. The, there are lots of parts of his defense that just go overlooked uh, that shouldn't be. Speaking of things that are overlooked that shouldn't be, is there anything else from the game that you feel like we should discuss? Uh, it, it was a weird game for Draymond. And yeah. the fact that the Warriors were able to win it the was, way that they did. He was horrible yeah. early, just straight up. He was horrible in those first six minutes. Yeah, he was a disaster. Uh, and the turnovers were awful and they were unforced. And it was the typical Draymond trying to do too much all at once, too soon, getting them into trouble. Uh, but I think it's good for the club that they could have such a disastrous night in some ways from Draymond uh, and recover and find a way to win it. And Draymond was better later. His defense was excellent towards the end of the game. Oh, yeah. He, uh, yeah and he the, settled that. The play on David Lee was one of the biggest highlights of the game. Yeah, it was fantastic. And he and he let David Lee know about it afterwards, which was great, too. Um, one, but no, one, I, it, sorry. One hustle stat thing yeah, they, that I wanted to pull up is that both Matt Barnes and Draymond contested 13 shots in this game. Barnes contested five threes, which is great. And then they all got a lot of deflections. They had 17 total deflections in the game, which is about even with the Spurs. So all those things are are, are small, but they're important. And also one that I like to look at is, and I, I don't recall seeing this very much, all but three guys who played more than a minute, because those guys don't count, got at least one screen assist. So that means that's showing how the how the ball is moving, how their sets are going. Is that even, you know, Ian Clark got a screen assist in this game. Yeah, it's a great stat that they were all focusing on trying to create separation and getting those open looks. And the fact that they can utilize all those guys in that way shows how integrated the offense is and how great you know, they're implementing the things that Kerr tries to do. Uh, one other stat while we're on it that sort of jumped out to me. Given the way the game started, I never would have expected uh, the turnovers to be even at the end of the game, but they were 15 apiece. Uh, Draymond had seven for the Warriors, but it, it's impressive that they could, I think, have six in the first quarter and then recover uh, and be so efficient for the rest of the game. They needed to claw back, but it, it's another good sign that they're able to settle themselves and, and focus on taking care of the ball and valuing those possessions. In the first quarter... The, war- the Warriors had zero points off turnovers and the Spurs had 11. At the end of the game, the the Spurs only won that by one. So you could think about it. So that wow. means that the, the you know they cut the margin by by 10 in the other three quarters, which is, is incredible. And, the, and that's despite not getting out much in transition because the Spurs get back. So do you, they, right. mitigate, they mitigate a lot of that. And the Warriors got 
nine steals. The, the Warriors only got seven steals. The Spurs got nine. And yeah, it's it, w- it was a really remarkable game because there were a lot of elements where they played super well, but you could also point to things and say, well, this wasn't perfect. This wasn't like a, a worst case scenario for the Spurs. It was bad, but it w- the Warriors can play better than this. And that's terrifying to not only San Antonio, but the rest of the league. Yeah, yeah you have a... 17 to 33 first quarter and the Warriors end up winning by 12. So that, that should terrify the rest of the NBA. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking time. Always a pleasure. Yeah. Always great to be on. Thanks a lot. Thanks again to Adam Wardson for taking the time. You can read him at the fast break blog, which is for the San Jose Mercury news. I believe it's blogs.mercurynews.com slash warriors does great work. And you can also follow him on Twitter at GSW fast break. That's GSW F A S T B R E A K. Love talking with him. We were just chatting after we recorded and it looks like we're going to try to have him on a little bit more often because his schedule's opening up a little bit. And I love talking to him. I could talk to him all day and this was an especially fun one to do. So I am legitimately unsure if I'm going to do what I'm going to do tomorrow, considering everything that's going on and considering the Warriors have a big game on Friday. I might do a short podcast. I might take take it off. I legitimately just don't know at this point. I have one short topic I might do podcast on, but it's so niche that it might not even be interesting to most people. So, you know, maybe I'll do that and people can listen to it or not. I, I, I haven't figured it out yet, but that'll it'll be what it'll be. And then if you want to support the show, you can, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. You can subscribe, download every episode. That's a great thing you can do. And also you can check out SeatGeek, my personal buy go-to for buying and selling tickets. And if you use the promo code LOWARRIORS for Locked On Warriors, again, that's LOWARRIORS, they will just send you $20 after your first purchase, which is pretty awesome. So I use it. I've used it for years long before they were a sponsor. So that is probably enough for now. I will definitely do a show after the game on Friday and after the game on, on Sunday at some point. And that might take the place of the Thursday night episode. I don't know at this point. We'll figure all that out. But thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Adam for coming on. Take care and make it a great day. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99. And our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. Hey, Bay Area sports fans. This is Ben Kaspic, host of the Locked On Giants podcast, which should be the next Locked On podcast you fire up in your feed. The MLB offseason is closing in, and I'll have you covered every day, breaking down the rumors, speculation, and transactions that'll shape next year's Giants team. Subscribe to Locked on Giants right now on your favorite podcast provider. This is Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked on Fantasy Basketball Podcast, the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world. If you're looking for information regarding fantasy basketball, recaps of the NBA, this is the show for you. We are heading into the offseason and starting to get ready for the 2020-2021 fantasy season. We'll have all the information on what happens through the rest of the playoffs, free agency, the NBA draft, and then heading into a big 2021 season. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.